1: This Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J. bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. And the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J., take it away.
0: Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show. Uh, as I speak, it's Wednesday, December 18th. But, of course, you're listening to it any time since it's a... uh uh, podcast, And we are streaming live, right, D? Yes, we are. How's it going, uh, everybody? On the uh, YouTube. So this is a big deal. We like doing this from time to time when we have uh, really compelling guest. Well, we like doing it even when our guests aren't as compelling as the one we have now. Oh. Uh, as we do all the time, a bonus time to the Ben Jarowski Show, I ask my distinguished guest, compelling or not, to introduce him or herself. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself.
1: Carlos Ramirez Rosa, Alderman of the 35th Ward, Chicago Northwest Side.
0: And, That's correct. Yeah. Uh, thank you, uh, Bob Mueller. <laughs> and the beautiful thing about Carlos Ramirez Rosa, we can do uh, a deep dive on local issues because obviously he's an alderman. Uh, and uh, is there still a progressive? I was going to say member of the progressive caucus. <laughs> I, there's more like the Democratic Socialist Caucus. He's like in three. You're like three caucuses, aren't you? I'm in four. Four. There's, <laughs> what are the? Okay. Let me see if I can do it. Uh, Latino caucus which I'll ask you about because they tried to kick you out of that I remember they writing did. about
1: now the, it now I'm the vice chair of the caucus a lot has changed this freaking city man <laughs> I can't keep
0: <laughs> up uh, yeah, and the guy that tried to kick you out is no longer in the city council oh boy Rick yeah. uh, and uh, okay so Latino caucus progressive caucus uh, the commie caucus just kidding uh, democratic socialist caucus <laughs> That's right, so yes. just kidding
1: socialist caucus we, we Social- left the democratic out of that one <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> Just to be this clear. This is too much of a mouthful,
1: you know. <laughs> uh, and what's, I don't, what's the fourth caucus? Gay caucus. LGBT caucus. There's, oh, how many members of that? We got five. Is that right? Yeah. Who are the five members? So we got Tom Tunney, uh-huh. Lakeview. We got James Kappelman, Uptown. We got Maria Haddon, Rogers Park, yeah. myself, and Raymond Lopez on the southwest side.
0: Raymond Lopez, 15th Ward Alderman, a frequent guest on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Maria Haddon's been on the show. Uh, the Capster's never been on my show. I could see that, that there's no ideological uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, unit, unity a binding of that caucus, that's for sure. Ideologically, that, that caucus is all over the map.
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean, we come together like any type of identity affinity caucus to focus on issues connected to that group of people. And so one of the things that we've done is uh, we've worked to advance trans rights at the city of Chicago level. Uh, We ensured that the city of Chicago had a uh, bathroom access ordinance that respected trans people. Um, and so essentially now you can go into the bathroom that you feel most comfortable entering, mm-hmm. regardless of what's your, on your ID.
0: I'm going to sound, th- th- I told you, Carlos, I, I, before every show I always go over my guests, what we're going to talk about, and then we go on tangents. We never mm-hmm. get into any of it. Uh, I, I, When I was in Los Angeles visiting my daughter, uh, or daughters, I should say, uh, over Thanksgiving, I went to my first uh, non-gender bathroom.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to a look? Not, I, we we have gender neutral bathrooms in my office.
0: Man, see, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> your, your office at, uh, in the ward? Or yeah, twenty nine
1: thirty four North Milwaukee. Man, what well, is a shock
0: to this old geezer? I walk yeah. in and it says there's a sign that says urinals this way, uh, and then the other way where there are all the stalls. It's just men and women, and you know I'm like, hey man, this is L A. Okay,
1: it's yeah. not Chicago anymore. Well, and so technically every bathroom in the city of chicago technically Mm -hmm. is now a gender neutral bathroom because even though you go to the restaurant and it says women on the door um if you as a person identify as a woman uh feel more comfortable entering and using that bathroom under the city's ordinance you will have the right to do that i see okay uh
0: but uh, this one was just like that's the way it is (laughs) uh and and
1: i will say a lot of the bars obviously in boystown have been quicker to adopt this gender neutral and i get complaints now from a lot of my female friends they're like we used to have the cleanest bathrooms <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry about that
0: <laughs> it's Dennis's fault um all right and uh i was i had a whole bunch of things that i want to talk to you about on the local level we're going to get to them all but uh, as as i sat down here right before the show I, the word broke uh, that an appellate court, uh, I don't know where it was. I just saw the headline in the, the first le- the paragraph folks. so we'll fill in the details as time goes on. But this is the bottom line. appellate court uh, uh, concurred with a lower court's decision, a judge in Texas decision to throw out Obamacare. And folks, I'm telling you right now, we talk a lot about impeachment on this show, Carlos. We talk a lot about uh, whether swing voters in Michigan, you know, are going to go for Trump or they are they get, are they, they going to be nervous and in vote for Bernie, uh, if, if Bernie or Elizabeth Warren or Lefty is that. Folks, you are insane if you allow this to continue. You cannot have, in my humble opinion, Carlos. You cannot have a civilized society without health care. Right, and they've just thrown the Republicans have been fighting Obamacare since the moment and it's Obamacare is diluted <laughs> anyway That's it's, right it's not even what like civilized countries they've been fighting it from the moment Obama twisted enough Democratic arms to pass it you were just out of you were just out of high school this is how long this has been going yeah. on and they're on the precipice of having a judge throw it out. I'm sure the flunkies in the supreme. Well, not, i not. I don't know which way Roberts will go on that one. But you know, uh, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, Donald Trump's flunkies in the Supreme Court, are going to be for. It's insane. Am I right in saying? Oh, absolutely. Man? And
1: and I think this started right after Obamacare was uh, went into effect. We saw Republican governors and Republican lawmakers in, in in states in the south, across the nation, refused to engage in Obama's Medicaid expansion, which uh, tremendously helped so many working people in the state of Illinois, in other states where they took advantage of that Medicaid expansion under Obamacare, and so that was really the first attempt by Republicans to undo Obamacare. But to your point, Obamacare, one, is not uh, you know, a single payer system. It's not a universal health care system like the ones that we see with the National Healthcare Service in England. Um, it's really just a mandate, right, that everyone has to purchase uh, one of these options on the market. And depending on what your income is, you know, if you're a lower income person, you're going to receive some assistance. Um, obviously, it's, it's tremendous. It's, it's, it's helped tremendously. A lot of people get access to health care the options are still not good, <laughs> um, unfortunately. So it, it definitely is not what we want it to be. But Obamacare was the Republican solution for health insurance and health care in the 70s. And now suddenly it's it's socialized medicine, which it's totally not.
0: It, it is totally not. And I know... Uh... We'll probably come back to this when we get into the national political uh, discussion. I I didn't even mean to lead with this, but I just saw the story breaking and it just uh, set off all the alarms. I I feel that if this country reelects Donald Trump knowing and they go, folks, you know, this don't be stupid, America. Okay, you know this. He's going to throw out Obamacare. They're already the, the Trump administration has joined the case against Obamacare. Right now, your tax dollars are paying lawyers on the federal level to destroy Obamacare, just like your local property taxes paid lawyers in the city of Chicago to destroy the lawsuit against Lincoln Yards. Just had to throw that out there. Um, if, If America still votes for Donald Trump, that is just an act of masochism. You know what I'm saying? It's just like... It's self-destructive.
1: Yeah. I mean, people really don't understand what's at risk here. And I think that so much of what is going to impact their daily lives, what is impacting their daily lives, is filtered through the discourse in Fox News, in the national media. And so we need a candidate like Bernie Sanders. We need a movement that really spells out to working people. These are the bread and butter issues. This is how Trump and the Republicans and their policies have hurt you. These are how our policies will benefit you, Mm -hmm. your family, your neighbors, your children, generations to come.
0: Yeah, by the way, I just wanna, before we move on, you're an Alderman now, uh, and I presume you have health care through the city, correct?
1: I do. Before you were elected, were you on Obamacare? Uh, For a brief period of time, I did uh, buy an option on the market. Uh, But prior to that, obviously, I had health insurance through my university, right? Uh, And then I was a congressional staffer Uh, which was not the best health insurance, I can tell you that. And then, um, after being a congressional staffer, I had a good union job as a deportation defense organizer with the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. So. Man, God bless the uh, unions!
0: Uh, all right, uh, let's uh, let's move to some local stuff, and we'll come back uh, to the nationals. Uh, today was a city council meeting, and you were a good sport to come here after the city council meeting, and you were bringing all kinds of goodies. What
1: is Christmas Day at the Chicago? City <laughs> That's council. right. So it's the last meeting before we break for uh, the holidays, and so traditionally, aldermen will purchase each other gifts. Uh-huh. Which is totally ethical as long as it's unsolicited okay. and uh, beneath the value of fifty dollars. I wouldn't even think that it was unethical,
0: <laughs> but whatever.
1: Um, so I can't this. I can't make out who bought this, but someone got some Bridgeport coffee. Oh, it's from Patrick Daly Thompson, uh, who's it's, the al- Alderman of the yes. Eleventh Ward. Bridgeport coffee, Bubbly Creek, Big Body, Sweet, and Berry. That's something like right. right there. Ana Valencia got us some Frango Mints, very Chicago, of our Chicago clerk. Uh-huh. Uh, and then there's this mug, which I want you to have this mug. It's from <laughs> Alderman Walter Burnett and his son, who is now the state representative of that uh, area. So, all right.
0: Thank you very much. Aww, and I'll be was here. Yeah, McDonald's
1: was kind enough to give us um, this uh, McDonald's Happy Meal ornament that came in an, an equally <laughs> adorable Happy Meal uh, box. So. so
0: each alderman got that from McDonald's? That's right. All right. Nice. Uh, it's really nice. And no. Did Popeye's give any chicken sandwiches? They did not. All right. Well. That would have been great how though. That, how Popeyes. about the 14th Ward Burger King? Did yeah. give anything? Popeye's chicken sandwich. We have a guest uh, coming on the show once a week. Uh, Miles Conflassen who's uh, he's written many, funny, uh, actually very compelling articles about Popeyes and their chicken sandwich. All right. Uh, so more important than the, the uh, Christmas gifts uh, was the fact that we had what I uh, called. We talked about this extensively in the show earlier today. The great reefer revolt at the Chicago City Council, and we you, you were breaking news on our show. We were doing the show live, and I you texted me while I'm here. Am I on today? Yeah, you're on. By the way, what <laughs> happened to the reefer revolt? And it, you pointed out that Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lightfoot, quelled the reefer revolt, and so I broke the news. All right, so why don't you fill in the details uh, exp- and, and just explain to people what exactly I meant by the reefer the
1: revolt. The reefer revolt. Uh, so the city of Chicago is set to have recreational marijuana come January 1st. The way that the state of Illinois uh, rolled out who can receive licenses existing medical cannabis dispensaries will be the first to receive licenses. Mm -hmm. So they've already received their licenses, assuming they have their inventory together, assuming they have their location together, uh, they will be able to begin selling on January 1st. Um, Then there's a certain number of licenses uh, that are gonna be rolled out uh, in the months to come. And uh, one of the things that the Black Caucus was very upset about is that not a single owner of any one of these dispensaries is African American. Mm-hmm. is a person of color. Um, and we know the nasty history and racist history of the war on drugs in this country. Uh, we know the way that you know black men, black communities, and black families have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. And so it is very onerous to think that here is an industry uh, that was relegated to the black market for years uh, where black men were subjected uh, to ridiculous uh, you know, levels of imprisonment and now it's gonna be legalized and who's gonna benefit off of that legalization? Right, Rich white men. Um, and so uh, the black caucus said we want equity and um, they tried to work within the confines of zoning Uh, to try and create some tools for equity, but did not feel that that was sufficient. And so instead, what they said was, we want to delay the issuance of further licenses in the city of Chicago for six months and allow it, take those six months to figure out how we can ensure that we have some black ownership, some minority ownership in the cannabis industry uh, and figure out what's a policy that's going to promote equity in the city of Chicago. So we had the committee meeting. We had a subject matter hearing in the new, the newly formed committee on contract oversight and equity. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a subject matter hearing a week or two ago. Uh, so there was no vote taken then. And then this past week, we had a vote, a past committee. I think the final vote was 10 to 8, 10 to 9. It I was, think it was 10 to 9 because
0: yeah. Riley uh, came in and voted. That's uh, right. Brendan Riley uh, voted with the nose. Uh, so anyway, go ahead.
1: So, um, so it advanced now to the full city council today. And as, uh, chairman Kerry Austin was reading out the report, uh, she, uh, recommended that the ordinance putting a a stall on the issuance and sale of recreational, uh, marijuana in the city of Chicago, stalling it for six months. She, uh, you know, recommended that it pass with the first favorable vote from the finance committee, um, which means that there would have been no voice vote. And at that moment, uh, Alderman Brendan Riley and uh, my other seatmate, Alderman Gil Villegas, uh, motion to defer and publish, which any two aldermen can kick an item to the next city council meeting mm-hmm. uh, if uh, they, they so choose. So that set off a series of procedural votes uh, where in the end, uh, the measure ended up failing uh, by, uh, by a sizable number of votes, only 19 people voted. Uh, so so uh, there were a number of defections from the Black Caucus. Uh, interestingly enough, almost all of the defections were chairs. Uh, which, you know, we, we kind of...
0: <laughs> we'll take a time to break that out, what he means by that. But yeah. so 19 would, if my math is correct, and I was a young scholar at yeah. in High School, Carlos, I would say it was 31 to 19, or was it not a full 50
1: at the... It was not a full 50. I see, yeah. okay. So 19... I think it was 29, 29.
0: Oh, that's like old the Harrow, Washington days, 29. Yeah. Imagine and, and, a magical number.
1: And Gill was, was sitting next to me, and he, of course he is uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's uh, floor leader, and he's trying to lobby me during this meeting to vote with him, and I'm like, nope, nope, nope. And so finally... it, it doesn't pass. I'm like, Seagull, you didn't need my vote. And he's like, yeah, but we wanted 30. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, all you need is 26. Uh,
0: well, we'll get into that in a little while because uh, mayors in the past, they, they're, they, they get sort of uh, irritated when anybody votes against them. Even, you can't have a legitimate dis- difference of agreement, you know. Mayors and yeah. the president make it. Yeah, websites. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, Rahm wanted 50 to nothing for yeah. his first budget. Lori was 39 uh, to 11. Now she's got the website. We'll talk about the website in a little bit. We've talked, But let's go back to the reefer revolt. Uh, so what were some of the arguments that uh, Mayor Lightfoot put forth today uh, to convince aldermen like yourself that the city did take seriously the issue, the fact that uh, black uh, entrepreneurs are not benefiting from the legalization of reefer. What were some of the compelling arguments that she made?
1: Well, some of the arguments were that um, the revenue generated by uh, the businesses that are gonna be operating come January 1st, part of that is actually gonna go into a fund uh, that will then help uh, social equity applicants mm-hmm. seeking to open up a cannabis business, but the argument that the Black Caucus would make in return was that by the time that you know these funds had been generated and allocated, that there would be really no more licenses to issue, right? There'd be no more opportunity to really uh, enter the market uh, and uh, develop your business. Uh, the argument, the other argument that was presented was that what the city was seeking to do potentially could trigger a lawsuit because there were a number of businesses that had already invested. Uh, and that, in effect, there would be a takings argument, right, that the city, by pursuing this last-minute uh, ban uh, or, or delay for six months, mm-hmm. uh, essentially, uh, you know, had a, a negative economic impact on these people and had taken something from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, then, a, a court potentially could strike down this ordinance, and it would be for naught. Um, but there were some gains. So, for example, uh, you know, the the governor's administration uh, was reaching out to aldermen and telling them, look, we will use rulemaking. So obviously the state of Illinois passed uh, you know, uh, legislation that lays out who can get a license, how this industry is going to work. So they said that they were going to use their rulemaking authority uh, under the existing law to ensure that the remaining medical licenses only went to social equity applicants. So I think that that is a tremendous win. And that only occurred because of the Black Caucus standing together. And the Black Caucus is 20 out of 50 aldermen. Mm-hmm. Um, So I I think that's a significant victory. In the end, a majority of the Black Caucus felt that it was not enough, and they felt that this six-month delay would still be extremely important uh, to help uh, the, uh, the industry... Uh, ensure that, that there was equity and that there were, you know, blacks and Latinos and others that have been historically disenfranchised having an opportunity Could to participate. Could
0: you re- unpack that again one more time? What was the assurance? So in other words, uh, the city of Chicago had to turn uh, to the governor's office, J.B. Pritzker's office, for a little assistance uh, to address the concerns of the black uh, caucus and yourself, by the way, you voted with. That's right, yes. Uh, and so, uh, um, so what what was what assurance did jb pritzker's so, office so come the up
1: assurance with? that came uh, from springfield was that through rule making so the, the law has been passed the legislation has been passed mm-hmm. months ago in springfield yeah and now it's up to uh the state to administer that law okay and so the 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 commitment that was given was that through rulemaking. in other words these are rules that now interpret the law right, right that implement you. the law so through rule making the state would ensure that the remaining medical uh, cannabis licenses that are to be issued uh, would only go to social equity applicants.
0: I see. So, and what does social equity applicant mean?
1: Well, it's defined in the state statute, but essentially, uh, you know, folks that have been uh, negatively impacted by the war on drugs, I right? See. So, uh, you know, folks from the African American community, um, individuals that have been historically disenfranchised. Uh, and, and that would be a, a social equity applicant. Okay.
0: Well, the, I would take the the lesson. Uh, did, by the way, was it enough to, it was not enough to convince you to vote? Yes.
1: Right, so, you know, ultimately what I said, because I did get a call from the, the mayor's administration last night, and I said, look, I voted in solidarity with the Black Caucus. I voted in committee in solidarity with the Black Caucus, and my plan to vote again in solidarity with the Black Caucus, if they are satiated, Right? If they feel like this is a significant win and they stand down, then I'm gonna stand down with them. But uh, you know, I think it was extremely important that the Black Caucus took this stand. Um, it's rare that we see uh, a caucus uh, vote together. In the end, there were a significant number of defections, although the majority of the Black Caucus stuck together. Uh, but um, you know, I, I think that w- what's interesting is that some folks were comparing this to council wars. Uh, mayor Lightfoot was asked about, you know, is this council wars? I think she rightfully pointed out that a lot of the impetus behind council wars, which of course was Verdoliak, uh, Burke, leading a group of 29 aldermen in opposition to the first black mayor of the city of Chicago. What Mayor Lightfoot correctly pointed out was that there was, you know, a racist um, agenda, mm-hmm. right, behind, uh, you know, the the opposition to to uh, Mayor Harold Washington. I think what's interesting here is that you have the first black lesbian mayor of the city of Chicago and a significant amount of the opposition that's coming to her administration came from this effort by the black caucus. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was, that's something interesting. Uh, it it doesn't allow what occurred today to be filtered through the narratives of the past to say, this is racist. or this is some conservative tendency opposing the mayor. All right. Let
0: me just do one thing as the old guy who was alive for council wars. Let me just, just deal with that one council wars was an eruption by a white alderman and one puerto rican alderman uh, against harold washington when he was first elected against everything Harold Washington did. They wouldn't even approve Harold Washington's nominees. And the theory behind council wars, as articulated by uh, Carlos's old friend, Richard Mell, Alderman Richard Mell, then of the 33rd Ward, was that in the long term, follow me on this, Carlos, the, uh, the revolters of council wars would be doing the city a service, this is how he viewed the world, by sabotaging the administration of Harold Washington and turning voters against him to, so that somebody else other than Harold would be mayor in 1987, which would be four years after health. So council wars was essentially a tactical move by uh, uh, white alderman to do what, uh, as to quote Donald Trump, have a coup. All right. That is light years apart from aldermen exercising their right and their responsibility to vote against an idea that the mayor puts forth. Just because an alderman opposes a mayor does not mean they have a (laughs) knee-dirt... jerk opposition to that mayor, that's like saying, oh, the five aldermen who voted against the parking meter deal were engaging in council wars. The mentality behind (laughs) saying any opposition to the mayor's council wars is the mentality that says, you Chicago are nothing but sheep. Shut up. Get in line and do whatever the mayor tells you. Do you agree
1: with me? I think we should have a subject matter hearing We bring you as a content expert.
0: Man, Um, (laughs) they wouldn't let me in the city council. Get him out of here. But um, I hear
1: this stuff, Carlos, yeah. and it just... But, and, and I think it also shows just how out of whack... Our democratic institutions have been in the city for such a long time, right, that if you oppose the mayor on something principled, suddenly it's personalized. I can't tell you the number of times under Rahm and now under Lori that I've been asked by reporters, do you just personally dislike oh, the mayor? Man. I'm like, no, you know, I'm very clear, you know, Mayor Lightfoot and I introduced, co-sponsored together uh, an ordinance today to strengthen the city's uh, protections for undocumented immigrants. So to me, it's all about policy, it's all about principles, and so you're absolutely right, you know, to have 20 black aldermen come together with a uh, a handful of allies and say we want equity in this industry. We want to make sure that the city of Chicago is slow walking this so that we can make sure that there is black ownership in the cannabis industry. That is light years apart from council wars and it's actually what a healthy legislative body should be engaging
0: in. And what it also shows, and this is why mayors really don't like it when there's opposition, it shows, as the teachers just showed with their strike Carlos, that when you stand up for something, uh The powers that be sometimes have to make concessions. And that's why mayors don't
1: like... Do you know know who Sarah Nelson is? Oh, you should look her up. She's phenomenal. She's amazing. Sarah Nelson, she is the head of the flight attendants union. Oh, yeah, Uh, I do know. I I don't
0: know her, but I know who she is.
1: And one of the things that she's going all across the country right now talking about the way that the flight attendant unions flex their muscle, Right. Uh, to basically end the government shutdown. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, I do remember that, yes. And what she said was that, um, what she consistently says is, um, using power builds power exercising power builds power, right? Mm -hmm. So when you flex that muscle, when you use that muscle, you help grow that muscle. Um, And of course, mayors hate that, right? (laughs) Because they wanna have absolute power. That's that's a natural tendency to say, hey, I don't wanna have people that I have to consistently be negotiating with. I don't wanna have people that diminish my power. Uh, You know, that that is a a natural instinct in in some ways. So I, I understand why mayors, you know, don't wanna see people flex their muscle, but I'm always of the opinion workers should go on strike, if you have the legislative power to do something and it's a principle stance, do it, whether that's deferring and publishing the ordinance, whether that's uh, you know voting as a block, uh, that helps build your power uh, and and makes you stronger for future yeah, fights. Yeah, no,
0: and then just to uh, go finish out the analogy, uh, what what Carlos was alluding to was when uh, there was the budget impasse uh, and the, the government shut down, this is about 2017, 2018, with, uh, uh, in the Trump administration, good God, and uh, uh, the flight attendant, uh, the, the the air traffic controllers weren't working, so it was very dangerous. And finally, the the uh, flight attendants union said, you know what? We're not going to work. And mm-hmm. I think the pilots were jumping aboard, just starting yeah. to talk about it.
1: It was, it was going to turn into
0: somewhat of a general strike. Yeah, there'd be a general yeah. and, and even Trump had to back off yeah. from that one uh, point. Well, t- and here's another point. I, I, you may disagree with me on this, uh, but I've been uh, mentioning this all day. Look, I read all the arguments that uh, Mayor Lightfoot advanced as to why it's so important uh, to pass this legislation now uh, and get the uh, r- r- the recreational reefer dispensaries open January 1st so the money can come in and the city can get its tax dollars. I hadn't heard that lawsuit argument, but uh, all right. Uh, I'll like- like Mayors have ever been afraid of lawsuits, but whatever we'll, we'll pretend that's a legit argument uh, and uh, so I understand the argument the, the argument uh, they raise. I just want to point out uh, that when it came uh, to a casino in the city of Chicago, the state same General Assembly that passed the recreational uh, reefer law was the one that pe- passed a law allowing Chicago to have a casino and that casinos, the proceeds would be divvied 30, 30, 30 between the operator, the city, and the state, roughly a 30, 30, 30, 30. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot said, no, upon a study, that that was not enough money for the operators of the casino uh, to make enough money to make it worth their while to run a casino. So she went back. She delayed the implementation of the law, went back to Springfield and asked them to change the law so that the rich right. guy who runs the casino could get more money. So I'm just pointing out that when it came to protecting the interests of the rich guys <laughs> that run the casino, oh, it's okay to delay. But when it comes to prote- protecting the interests, a black guy in the city of Chicago who's been locked up forever, ever for smoking reefer and white people get away with it. Oh, no, no, we got to get it past I'm just saying, I'm just pointing that out, Carlos. Am I unfair to point that out?
1: I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I have not thought about it that way, but absolutely. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot to be said there. That's the weird way my mind
0: works. Uh, all right. Let's talk about something else that went down uh, in the city of Chicago this week. I call it Gate, uh, And this has to do with uh, the lawyer, the corporation counsel uh, for the city of Chicago. This is one of those bizarre only in Chicago uh, story, Carlos. Uh, so, why don't you just? <laughs> I've had a lot of fun with it. I'd love to hear your take on it. Uh, the, it turns out that the chief lawyer for the city of Chicago uh, actually has a home in Naperville. Yes. All right, go explain this.
1: Yeah. Right, right. Well, so, as your viewers may know, he has a uh, home in Naperville, he owns a condo downtown. And uh, he's been claiming the homeowners, the homestead exemption on both of those properties. So in other words, he's been telling the state of Illinois, (laughs) he's been telling, uh, you know, the county government that he should have lower property taxes because those are both his primary residences. Mm -hmm. Well, the question is, which one is it? And so the administration, the the comms team for the mayor, in order to prove that Flesner indeed lives in the city of Chicago, they provided the press with uh, a voter registration card from like May Mm-hmm. Uh, and a uh, driver's license issued in late May. Okay. okay. What does that tell you? So here's the guy that was the treasurer for Lori Lightfoot's campaign committee. Mm-hmm. Did he not vote for Lori Lightfoot to be mayor? I don't
0: even in the city of Chicago. I don't think they let I you mean, vote if you live in Naperville. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that I mean, because the, the voter registration card was issued. I believe, if I'm correct, if I remember what I read, yeah, it was issued after the election took place. Yeah. So I think, you know, she wins the election and she's like, hey, guess what, buddy? We got to <laughs> bring you in here as corporation <laughs> counsel. We got to. So he goes and he changes his <laughs> voter registration. And he, but to me, it's like if, if you genuinely live in the city of Chicago, yeah. And this is your friend, this is your longtime co worker, confidant that is now running for mayor of the city of Chicago. Yeah. Don't you think you'd make sure that your voter registration yeah. is current in the city that you're claiming that you're now living in? Yeah. Well,
0: my, my uh, absolute favorite detail mm-hmm. of Flesner Gate, and by the way, let me just say this before I get to my favorite detail. Oh,
1: but now he, so he's going to get to pay the money back
0: yeah well, it's time out so he's gonna yeah. so in other words he was the beneficiary of two homeowner's exemptions yeah and so you can only be the beneficiary of one homeowner's exemption uh he claims that it was uh here, this is my second favorite part he claims it was a mistake which
1: it, it could be i the the point here <laughs> he's a lawyer isn't he <laughs> I mean, he's
0: a lawyer. <laughs> he's presumably the best lawyer in the city of Chicago.
1: I'm, I'm a very forgiving person, but, okay, yeah, but, but, but the thing is, the mayor just last week was talking about how she didn't want to be lied to and how she wasn't gonna you know, allow any of this unethical nonsense to be taking place. But it, it, I think any person looking at this can now fairly really say there's a different standard when you're her buddy.
0: Well, yeah, and uh yes, uh and I would make i'm gonna I am now going to make an argument uh on in defense of uh Mark Flesh. his first name is Mark, right yeah. okay, I've never met the man, so I don't know him uh he could be the greatest lawyer in the world little little weak on property tax law. But other than property tax law, keep him away from property tax law, Mayor Lightfoot. He's great. He doesn't understand the homeowner's exemption. Carlos, it's really complicated. You can only have one. He got confused, okay? Uh, But aside from his uh, weakness on uh, property tax law, let's say he's a great lawyer. Let's say he's a longtime friend. And so she picks him. She wants to trust somebody. That's the guy she wants. This is what I'm, like, thinking about. Maybe that I'm unfair here, but it turns out the, the Sun-Times did a, a deep dive investigation. Uh, he voted in 2018 in the Republican primary. That's right. I want to take you back to uh, the spring of 2018. You had a choice. There was a Democratic primary for governor and a Republican primary for governor. The Democratic primary consisted of, let's see if I can do this, J.B. Pritzker, your good friend Danny Biss, uh, Bob Dwyer, who Dennis voted for, wish I had voted for him, uh, who else was in that Chris one? Kennedy. Chris Kennedy. How can I forget Chris Kennedy's greatest contribution? Bob
1: Diber from Carbondale? No. Downstate Democrat. Down. Marine, Illinois. Marine, Marine Illinois. Illinois, yeah. He was the school superintendent? Yes. Yeah. Very yeah, good. Yeah, he was a nice guy, yeah. He was a great guy. I great wish I guy. voted for him. He's
0: not dead. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy, <laughs> and I, I, t- I t- always tell Dennis, you voted, the- me made the right vote. That's the guy I wish I <laughs> voted for. I voted for piss. I admit it. Uh, and, um, oh God, do I hear it from, uh, Terry Cosgrove all the time? Cause I, cause he was a huge Pritzker fan anyway. Uh, so you had choices. All right. And, um, on the Republican side, your choice was Bruce Rauner or Jeannie Ives. This is a man who, when given the choice between (laughs) taking a ballot that would enable him to choose between, let's say, Chris Kennedy, Dan Biss, and J.B. Pritzker, decided, no, I want to choose between Bruce Rauner and Jeannie Ives. I'm trying for the life of me thinking, what would motivate somebody to vote for either Bruce Rauner or Jeannie (laughs) Ives? Help me out, Carlos.
1: Uh, I just I I don't know. I'm not a Republican, so I, I wouldn't be able to. Just so you know, I mean
0: that's like bad versus badder. I
1: mean. Oh it, yeah, Genie no.
0: Ives. Uh,
1: uh, uh, yes, I mean I I I don't have that bad of of a memory. Genie <laughs> Ives. I remember Genie Ives' radio ads, the xenophobia. Uh, the right wing, uh, you know, policy she was staking out. And I remember Bruce Rauner running around in his like fake motorcycle <laughs> jacket and his whole, you know, I'm just a regular guy shtick. Yeah. So anyway, I'm I uh, I'm
0: hoping uh, that now that uh, Mark Flessner has left leafy naperville and moved uh to the the loop and it's now dealing with many of the issues that a city like chicago i
1: I think he read that he said that he's spending four days in the city and three days in naperville okay i I, wow (laughs) he gets okay all right at least the four days in the city
0: and that he's surrounded by people like carlos and people like uh uh, Jeanette Taylor and, you know, people, uh, of all different races and backgrounds and, uh, uh, in, uh incomes that he realizes that maybe being a Democrat <laughs> would be a good idea. You know what I'm saying? i just throw that out there. Uh, anyway, that was my
1: favorite. favorite and, and then the comms director for the law department was let go. Yeah, I didn't. That's not, how this. Yeah, that's. I, t- and allegedly he yeah. was let go because I guess off the record, this is me reading in between the lines. Oh, go ahead. His name, the, Bill
0: McCaffrey was his right, name. Right, Bill McCaffrey. So
1: off the record or on background, I guess he told someone in the press that his boss, the corporation counsel, did not actually live in the city of Chicago. Some could claim that's blowing the whistle.
0: Oh, that is that you reading between the lines, or is that something that you I heard? think that's
1: what I read in Politico. Oh. That was what was being claimed over the weekend was that he was let go. So, that because what the mayor said, she won't tell us. She says, I fired him for cause. But what she says is, I fired him for unethical behavior and unprofessionalism. And I've made it very clear that I'm not going to accept people either through omission or through commission spreading mistruth and misinformation and lies. And I'm not going to accept, you know, people not treating each other collegially. She said mm-hmm. something to that effect. And then when you read what is being reported in the press, which was that he had told folks, you know, that the corporation council that Flesner did not live in the city of Chicago, what I view that then is he opened up his mouth about this, you know, residency issue mm-hmm. that Flesner had. Uh, and in turn, you know, Mayor Lightfoot fired fire Wow.
0: That could be. I I was not one of the uh, reporters or writers that was rushing uh, to his defense instinctively because I didn't know the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, I've confessed this on the air a couple more than once, Carlos. Uh, by and large, he, he served, McCaffrey served throughout the Rahm administration and by and large, I, none of those people would ever respond to anything, you know, a call. And occasionally, I mean, they get email responses. So I never had a personal relationship with any of them. Uh, Rom was very much a mayor who people, it's like, if you, were, if you were against him, that's it, you're off. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I don't know. But that, I wow. That's a thing. By the way, I'm going to still put this out. Having said all this, and I get your reaction to this, I still think that Lori Lightfoot's a better mayor than Mayor Rom. I still think having said everything we've just said today's show, uh, I, I even don't I don't even hold Gate against her uh, on the grounds that, like I said, if, she, if this is the lawyer she thinks she trusts the most and thinks is the smartest and the most capable of dealing with the compelling issues that he faces, then that's her prerogative, obviously, as mayor of Chicago. So,
1: well, we'll strike one voting in the republican primary okay. strike to messing up his property taxes it's complicated but compl- we'll see what strike yeah means.
0: okay uh, anyway uh, but i still think that uh, so far
1: well, well i would yes yeah. i think if we look at the first six months mm-hmm. absolutely i think that you know the the types of reforms that mayor lightfoot has been willing to afford um her willingness to take on some of the entrenched power uh, at city hall absolutely um an
0: improvement over Rom. Yes. I mean, Rom bowed down to Ed Burke and let Burke uh, operate now. Uh, I have a friend, um, we have a mutual friend, I will not re- uh, name her, but every time I say this uh, in defense of Lori Lightfoot, uh, our mutual friend, whose first initial is M, uh, always tells me, well, Ben, that he was already indicted, so stop giving her credit for that. <laughs> this friend is really hard on Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> and I still give her credit for it. Yeah. I still think that, that was an important moment, so I give her credit for
1: Yeah, that. and it just wasn't Burke, it was others as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, um, yes, the first six months, most definitely, I, I think we're going to have to wait to see, you know, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. Right. Um, what what the record really looks like.
0: All right, so that first budget, uh, it went down since the last time we were on the show. It was right around Thanksgiving, I want to say, and the vote was 39 to 11 for the budget. You were one of the 11, correct? Yes. All right, talk about that.
1: So um, I talk about this political Stockholm Syndrome that I think developed. So a lot of my Progressive Caucus colleagues that are now in their second term with me, they were like, but this is so much better than what Rom did. I um, mean, the reality is, is that it was marginally better than what Rom did. Um, but it still was not the progressive budget the Chicagoans had voted for. It continued to rely on regressive taxes, you know, a, a ride share uh, in, increase. It continued to rely on a restaurant tax increase, which are regressive things that, you know, hit working people harder. Uh, it continued to rely on a slight property tax increase. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was obviously not the record-breaking property tax increase that, that Rom had pursued, but it, it was there. Um, and it also failed to include uh, hundreds of thousands of workers uh, in the $15 minimum wage by 2021, ordinance uh that mayor lightfoot and uh, tony parkwinkle campaigned on on the on the campaign trail um so you know at one point in time i i was leaning towards voting yes because i said hey you know this isn't the worst budget of course stockholm syndrome is when you're 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 captive, right? And you become so abused, and you begin to normalize the abuse, and you begin to identify with your captor. Yeah. So the the political Stockholm syndrome that I talk about is that you know so often we as progressives are so abused, we're so used to losing that when we're showing just the slightest, you know. Uh, uh niceness um or just given the 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 smallest little morsel the the little crumbs suddenly it's like oh you're great this is phenomenal you know uh things are are going really well and you begin to become enamored with with your captor with the status quo uh with this broken political system so we we had a meeting uh as the socialist caucus uh and we each went around and i my colleagues all spoke first and they said i'm a no because this is not the budget that i was elected uh Mm -hmm. to fight for Uh, You know, we put progressive revenue ideas on the table. We called for a corporate head tax. We called for a much more significant and aggressive TIF uh, surplus. Uh, We called for institutionalizing TIF reform. We called for uh, Pilot uh, for big, uh, you know, quote unquote nonprofit institutions like the University of Chicago uh, and Rush uh, University, Rush Hospital. So Pilot is payment in lieu of taxes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a lot of uh, big institutions that essentially function like for profit uh, corporations. We're talking about the University of Chicago. We're talking about Northwestern University. We're talking about Rush. Um, and they have an extraordinary amount of property in the city of Chicago, much of it which they do not pay property taxes on. So the whole notion is, is that, you know, we're going to treat them like the big moneyed institutions that they are and ask them to help contribute towards the city's bottom line because it is a symbiotic relationship. Um, and... Uh, all of those ideas, despite being introduced in ordinance form, despite you know us pushing for them, lobbying for them, working for them were ignored. Um, and additionally, we also called for a real estate transfer tax. Uh, we called for a compromise that would generate money uh, to address our city's debt obligations and pension obligations, but at the same time would fund homeless services and mental health services and public housing at the level that it needs to be funded at if we're actually gonna deal with the housing crisis that so many Chicagoans are facing. So uh, my colleagues were just like, this is not the budget that we were elected on. Uh, it continues to rely on property tax increases, regressive fees and fines. It does not make the meaningful level of investment that we need uh, in things like mental health services and homeless services. So we're knows? Uh, and I was like, all right. I feel free. I was, I, I was going to go whichever way you went. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not necessarily I was going to go whichever way you went. But, you know, I, I think that it, it was liberating to have a cohort, to have a group of colleagues that you can say, yes, I can make common cause with yeah. you. Right. And after four years of oftentimes having been the sole no vote, you know, or or one of a handful of of, of no votes to now have a group of people that say, actually, Carlos, you know, your gut instinct is spot on. Right. Mm -hmm. This is not the budget that we should be supporting. Um, And, you know, if you think about it this way, we don't get to grade from a scale of one to F when you vote. Right. You either give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. That's true. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, essentially you're either giving it an A or an F. And, uh, you know, yes, is this an improvement over Mayor Rahm Emanuel's budget? It is. But is this the transformative change that Chicagoans and that our constituency sent us there to fight for? It's not. And yeah. so we're going to continue to fight for that.
0: Uh, and mayors tend to take it very personal. I mean, because I'm, I'm, I listen carefully to what you said. and Think about this. The vote you have on a budget is the only thing you have to express your sort of your worldview as to where Chicago could go. And when you know. His, you know you talk to your colleagues you know the bu- the, the, the budget's going to get passed so the issue is will it get past 38 to 12 or will it get past uh, excuse me 37 uh, to 13 i got my math's all off whatever uh, 39 to 11 or 38 to 12 there we go and, and you decide you know what I'm going to make a statement I'm going to make a statement about where I think the city should go and I'm going to be uh, voting no and for a mayor to get offended by that, it, it's a sign that the mayor's taking it very personal because it's, well, the mayor won. I mean, you know what I'm saying? The mayor got her budget passed. Mayor Rom got his. Weren't the votes at the end with Mayor Rom about the same, like 10 votes no? Am I memory Is my memory cor- correct about budgets in the last couple of years of Rahm? Was it about? Nine. So, ten.
1: Rahm Emanuel's first budget in 2011. 50 to nothing. Was I know. 50 to nothing. Yeah.
0: But by the um, end. By the end. <laughs> when you were in the council, like 2018's budget? I think
1: the most was 15 people voting no. That was the year of the massive property tax increase. Okay. So that would have been the 2016 yeah.
0: budget. So, oh, okay. So there you go. And you were one of the 15, right? Yes. Yeah. So I, I just feel as though it's really all you have. Now, it's a different thing if it's uh twenty-four to twenty-five, you know, and then you really have to decide which way am I gonna go with this, you know, you know what I'm saying? But it's it's either what, thirty-nine to eleven or forty to ten, you know, what difference does it make? Uh,
1: yeah, I, I mean I think one for a very long time, the way that Daily and Rom operated was, you know, if you do not vote with my majority, mm-hmm. then I will not lend the support of my office uh, of the administration, of the executive branch, towards the things that you need to get done in your district, imagine if Donald Trump you know told your local congressman yeah. right, if you do not vote for if, if you vote to impeach me, the mail's not going to get delivered <laughs> in your congressional yeah. district right yeah. and unfortunately, that is the fear right that that a lot of aldermen have, and it's not as bad as it was you know. You know 10 20 30 years ago but um you know one of the things so when i ran for office i ran on a platform that said that at a city-owned parking lot next to the logan square blue line stop in my ward i would support hundred percent affordable housing i would support the community's proposal for a hundred percent affordable housing development to replace that parking lot and it took me five years to finally win this because every step of the way, the mayor and his administration would either block it or slow walk it. Mm -hmm. And at the very end, what I was told was, well, you know, they really don't want to give this to you because it's you, right? They don't, my ward desperately needs affordable housing, right, but because I have been a critic of the mayor, now they're telling me the manual administration isn't going to.
0: Now, when you say they, who, with, uh, you may want it's, to... it's
1: legislative aides, it's other elected officials, it's uh, people working in nonprofits that are working on this right, project. So there's just a number of conversations taking place. Let me place. ask you this. Yeah. In your humble opinion, do
0: you think they were telling the truth when they said it was personal against you, or do you think they were using that as an excuse to cover up the fact that Mayor Rahm didn't want to sign on to an affordable housing
1: project? I think it was both. Yeah, I mean, it, it was very clear. I mean, I remember there were, there was one meeting uh, where um, Reefman, who was uh, the commissioner of Department Planning and Development, you know, I've been I've been telling Department Planning and Development this is what my community wants to move on. Um, so we set up a meeting between community stakeholders, between a nonprofit affordable housing developer, Bickerdike, which is uh, developing the project. Um, and prior to the meeting starting, the commissioner of Department Planning and Development comes in and says, "Can I can I speak to you outside, Alderman, for a second And he goes, "Do you really want to do this?" And I'm like, yeah, that's that's why we're here. And this is this is why I've been pushing for this meeting for months to get the ball rolling on us talking about this development. Uh, and he goes, well, you know, do, do, why don't you think about like, you know, there's an interest in putting an Amazon store there. You know how they have like those little Amazon stores that they're opening up across the city. <laughs> oh. so he's like, so wh- why don't you think about that? And I go, well, you know, we want the 100% affordable housing. Yeah. Um, and, and so yes, I, I think it was a combination of both. But the implication there was that. You know, if I were a person that had voted 100% of the time with the mayor, yeah. that perhaps I would have had more chips to cash in, right? I would have had the ability to say, "I voted with you 100% of the time and now this is really what I want. So give it to me."
0: Yeah. You know? Well, I I've this is a tough one for this would be a great uh, ethical uh, d- uh, debate, a debate on ethics. What what was the prevailing uh, reason for the opposition? The real reason? uh my i'm leaning toward a knee-jerk opposition to anything resembling affordable housing in a rapidly gentrifying uh part of the city like your ward uh and the only thing i could think of
1: i will say to mayor Lori lightfoot's credit so prior to her being elected she marched with community groups we held a rally 500 Mm -hmm. of us marched through logan square Mm -hmm. Uh, she was there she supported on the campaign trail and uh, since she's taken office, her administration has been extremely supportive. All right, so of there you department.
0: go. That, but what did I just say? I said she's better than Rahm. I said that. And I
1: agreed with you. you
0: know? Yeah. I mean, if, if I, <laughs> but it's not going to keep me from making fun of Flesnurgate, <laughs> which is absurd. There's like a million Democratic lawyers in the city of Chicago. You had to take one that voted for either Rauner or Ives. Just kidding. Flesner. come on. Come on. It's, it's never too late to be
1: a Democrat. But do you think he voted for Jeannie Ives or Rauner? That's a great question, Carlos. i got to think about
0: it. I'm, I'm going to put myself in the mind of a, a voter who's going to pick that ballot. So, okay, folks, just so you know this. We have listeners who are outside of Illinois. In in Illinois, you don't have to declare uh, a party allegiance until you walk into the polling booth and you to say, I want the Republican ballot or I want the Democratic ballot. So, as again, this man like every voter in the state of Illinois I was given a choice. He could take the democratic ballot and that way he could choose between J.B. Pritzker and Chris Kennedy and, uh, uh, Bob, Bob Diber, et cetera, so forth, Danny Biss, or he could take the Republican ballot and choose between Bruce Rauner and Jeannie Ives. Bruce Rauner was an extreme right winger on, uh, on economic issues of a, a vile opponent of, of union and collective bargaining rights. Who's, a uh, prevailing view of government is that we would be a better society if we could destroy the collective bargaining rights of workers. And he, to force the state to destroy collective bargaining rights, was willing to block any budget, any funding of government, Uh, He also kind of believed that we'd be better off as bankrupt uh, uh, state uh, if that meant we could kill unions. So this was a man who I best say is a nihilist when it comes to government. And the state just broke down under his reign. There's no compelling reason whatsoever to vote for him if you believe in a functioning government. On the other hand, you had Jeannie Ives, who thought he was too liberal. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, On immigration, on on abortion, on gay rights. But (laughs)
0: supported him on his (laughs) anti-government. So it's like, so you can make the best argument you can make for Flessner is that he was voting to keep Jeannie Ives from being the nominee. But then I would come right about and say she would get annihilated. And every
1: poll also shows she had no chance. Yeah. I mean. So
0: there's really no justice. So I don't know. Maybe he said, "Yeah, I really like Jeannie Ives stand on gay rights. I think I'll uh, vote for her." Remember, she was like the most virulently anti-gay rights person in the yeah. st- uh, in the state of Illinois for a while. So and, and abortion rights. Yeah. So there's really no winning uh, interpretation of this one. Uh, so I don't know. Anyway, uh, but having said all that, kudos to her. For supporting your initiative. So, there. Yes. All right. Uh, saying nice things about Lori Life. Uh, all right. And uh, let me see before we move on. Anything else I wanted to ask you about on city politics? No. It's. Uh I think we've covered absolutely everything on city politics. I want to talk to you about. Let's talk a little national politics. As I said uh, earlier, uh, Carlos will be at the Hideout first Feb- uh, first Tuesday in February, uh, de- uh, representing Bernie Sanders uh, against. Br- he'll be uh, debating Brandon Johnson. It's going to be a great show,
1: folks. It's going to be amazing. I, it is. <laughs> Buy your tickets now. No. I don't know if they're I don't know if they're up for sale, but any, I don't know. Uh, any is, trash you'd like to talk uh, towards <laughs> Brandon Lots Johnson? of trash. Right. I mean, right now I've, would you like I've, to? i brought a truckload of trash. Send a message, a message <laughs> um, to Brandon. Johnson right now I, I mean to be honest yeah. I think you should probably line up someone from the Pete Buttigieg or Biden campaign as a backup because uh, I don't know if Warren's <laughs> going to be in this race oh, much longer is
0: already we'll get Pete it's really hard to find I Pete Buttigieg or Joe Biden's I would have to be the Joe Biden guy I'm the closest comes to a Joe Biden supporter in this show that's actually not true we've had some Joe Biden supporters but um I think Elizabeth Warren will still be, I know you've made that joke before, but I think she'll still be in the race come February because the Illinois primary is not till March, correct?
1: That's right. But I, I mean, you know, she has to do well in Iowa. She has to do well in New Hampshire. So we got Iowa, we got New Hampshire. We've got, is it South Carolina and then Nevada or Nevada and then South Carolina? I I can't remember. And is, then we hit Super Tuesday. And so right now it looks like Iowa and New Hampshire is a, is a race between Bernie and Buttigieg. And then you get into South Carolina, Nevada, and it's a race between Bernie and Biden. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you hit super Tuesday and you got a lot of States that Bernie did very well in last time around. And then the, the biggest state of them all, California is now on super Tuesday and it looks like Bernie's on track to win big there. Uh, Bernie is leading amongst all the key demographics that a Democrat needs to win in order to win the white house voters under 40 overwhelmingly with Bernie. Um, Voters of color with Bernie, Latino voters with Bernie. Um, so I do not see where, uh, you know, the Warren campaign goes from here, right? I think what the, the Warren campaign was banking on was really Bernie's campaign and his ability to campaign collapsing, right? And and Warren then rising up as the kind of progressive alternative to the more establishment candidates like Biden and Buttigieg. Um, if you look at the polling Voters that right now prefer Biden, their second choice is Bernie. Voters who prefer Warren, their second choice is Bernie. And so I, I really think that there's an argument to be made now that, you know, Warren is playing more so the role of progressive spoiler right now. Mm-hmm. Because if Warren were to drop out the Iowa caucuses, let me tell you, Bernie wins Iowa. It looks like he's on track to win Iowa right now. Uh, if, if Bernie drops, if, if Warren drops out of New Hampshire, Bernie wins New, New Hampshire, Hampshire. Um, and, and, and picks up votes everywhere else. Um, and, and so I, my message is, is Elizabeth Warren for the good of the party and the progressive movement. I think you should consider dropping out. Uh, yeah.
0: I'll deliver that to Brandon. <laughs> to my, I think he's coming on the show tomorrow. So I'll, I'll deliver that message and see how he responds to that. Uh, I have seen it. Somebody wrote an essay and I wish I could remember the person's name so I could give him or her credit because it was a compelling essay.
1: Was it Pete Buttigieg's high school essay? No, <laughs> we talked about, we'll get to that. We'll award winning. <laughs> it is an award winning essay. <laughs> Pete
0: Buttigieg, what a trip. Uh, no, it was, I can't remember where it was, but they didn't talk about Bernie Sanders. They didn't talk about Elizabeth Warren. They talked about a candidate named Sanders Warren. And the point of the writer, and I wish I could remember his or her name, uh, is that when you add their numbers together – they're close to a majority, if not over a majority, uh, a a, a clear majority of Democrats uh, in this coming election year for somebody who is lefty, liberal, whatever you wanna call them.
1: That's right, but but a sizable chunk of, so a a big reason why Warren has dropped so precipitously in the polls is because a lot of her white professional base prefers Buttigieg over her right now. And so while it is true that a majority of Warren supporters prefer Bernie as their second choice, Mm -hmm. there's still a sizable chunk that will not go for Sanders and will support someone like a Pete time and time again. Well, let's
0: talk about that. Uh, Let's get your thoughts on this. I've been putting this out to my guests, and I've been thinking a lot about this uh, in light of Hillary Clinton's appearance on the Howard Stern show and the things she said about Bernie uh, and comments that Roms made, et cetera, and so forth, and Obama's, you know, the word is that Obama's may, uh, you know, uh, urge people not to vote for Bernie. I've seen that thrown out. I've never seen it from Obama. I've seen it thrown out. Um, Push comes to shove. The way I phrase this is this, Carlos. For years and years and years, lefties like me have been told by centrists like Rom, shut up and vote for whoever we nominate because it's better than the Republican. And I've been doing just that. Okay. Same, same. All right. Okay. And I've been doing that. I'm older than you, so I've been doing it for <laughs> longer than you. All right. But that's that's how and I And that's operate. how you
1: get that political <laughs> Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> uh, you know, I really
0: do love Bill Clinton more and more. Uh, and so I go, all right, well, is the, is, is, is the true same going to be for the other side? Okay, Roms. Okay, Hillary's. Okay, Billy Clinton's. Let's say Bernie's the nominee. Are you going to shut up and vote for Bernie? And more and more, I'm thinking
1: they may vote for Trump. Oh yeah. I honestly, I mean, it, it's really scary to think about. Uh, like like Nira Tandem. You know, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right, but she's the executive director of Center for American Progress, mm-hmm. and she just hates on Bernie Sanders all day. And it's just like you know what what is someone like Nira going to do? if and when he is the nominee. Because right now, if, if you look at the fundraising, if you look at the enthusiasm, I mean, 71% of Bernie Sanders voters say that he is their choice, right? Higher than any other candidate by double digits, mm-hmm. right? Biden is next, like in the 50s, right? But the, but the point here is, is that, you know, uh, will they vote blue no matter who, right? That is uh, the ask here. Uh, and, and it's scary to think that, that some of them well, not, but but if you look at who have been the successful Democratic presidential nominees uh, in the last 50 years, consistently, mm-hmm. it has to be, or not the last, going back, yeah, no, consistently, there are nominees who excite young voters, who excite voters of color, and who change the electoral map. Right? and are able to have big turnout in constituencies that normally don't turn out. Mm-hmm. If you rely on white professional voters, Republicans win every single time. And so when you look at the, the appeal that, that older white voters, uh, you know, the, the appeal that Biden has with older white voters, when you look at the appeal that Buttigieg or Warren has with the white professional uh, uh, voters, uh, ultimately, you know, what, what I see there is, um, a lack of enthusiasm from young voters and voters of color for those candidates, mm-hmm. right? And and Bernie has those voters. And so to me, if you want to have Donald Trump serve four more years in the White House, nominate Biden, nominate Buttigieg, nominate Warren. Mm. But if you really want to have a fighting chance where we not only take the White House, but fundamentally shift the electoral map for generations to come, nominate Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. You know, Bernie Sanders gets more Contributions from military, active military members, and military families than all the other Democratic candidates combined. I did
0: not know that. How do you know that?
1: Because I love Bernie Sanders. And every morning I wake up and I Google Bernie Sanders news. (laughs) Okay. (laughs)
0: You know absurd things about the Bulls. You love the Bulls, <laughs> that is really. Uh, that's yeah. They're, and then the thing.
1: algorithm figures me out, and then it's just constantly like Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders. Yeah,
0: and <laughs> I, we have, I got a, some listeners. I have too many. Betty, you have too many Bernie Bros on your show, and I'm, I'm, I'm reaching out to other candidates as well. I voted for Bernie in 2016. I always admit this, uh, and I always point out I did it fighting. The conventional wisdom, Carlos has heard me in this subject so many times, of every baby boomer I knew uh, telling me he can't win. And boomers uh, lived under rules that were created in 1972 in their mind when George McGovern lost to Nixon. And that's when Bill Clinton figured came to the conclusion that you could never be left of center. You always had to either be center or right. That was the only way Democrats could win. Uh, And that's been the prevailing wisdom of the Democratic Party ever since. Every single candidate since 72 has run from the center. No lefty has ever won uh, the nomination for the Democratic uh, presidency. And what I've seen in presidential race after presidential race, Carlos, is the candidate move to the left at the end when, usually when he or she was like, I could go through Fritz Mondale in 84, moving to the left, trying to get Mike Dukakis in 88, moving to the left. Now, oh boy, Clinton was lucky because he had Ross Perot in the race, who took the votes for, uh, from uh, George Bush. So uh, this would be a real challenge for the Democratic Party. This would be like going, finally saying we have that McGovern, what, uh, curse off and we're going to move forward with a candidate, uh, a lefty candidate, that would be remarkable. And I don't know how the establishment would treat it.
1: There was an interesting article in Politico uh, that came out a day or two ago, and they talk about, they're like, you know, people in Washington, uh, in the Beltway, they're always talking about, you know, Bernie, there's no way that we'll ever have a presidency. But given the polling, maybe we should start talking about what that might look like. And they have this cartoon uh, that, they, uh, uh, that they drew with, like— uh, the, the potential cabinet of Bernie Sanders, and you have like it's like the White House it's the Oval Office, and there's like a poster of like the i w w international workers of the <laughs> world, and then like Cornel West and Elizabeth Warren are like dancing on a table and Bernie's like in jeans and yeah. like a you know blue like shirt like with his like fists up in the air, giving some speech um I mean, I I really think that in the last several days, you have begun to see the mainstream media and and, and the corporate media begin to talk about, okay, what really happens if Bernie's the nominee and if Bernie wins the presidency? What Politico kind of ended up saying was, you know, it's going to shift the the discourse in D.C. to the left. You're going to see a lot of the, the harm done by Trump being undone. But we don't think that we get Medicare for all. Um, And and I think that's where they're fundamentally wrong is that Bernie Sanders is not afraid to continue sort of similar to Trump. Right. Trump has continued to do the political rallies where one of the reasons why Trump right now is so inoculated from this impeachment is that he has that Republican base in lockstep Mm -hmm. with him. Even if, they're, even if they if they hate the man, even if they think that he's like the, the worst thing for this country, these Republican congressmen and senators are not opening up their mouths. They're just repeating the Donald Trump talking points and following uh, his madness because Trump knows how to exercise power, right? For better or for worse, he knows that if he goes and rallies in a, in a, in a Republican district, he will turn out the base, he will energize the base, he will keep that party with him. Bernie Sanders similarly understands that you, know, you gotta go out there and you gotta take your message directly to working people. And I think that what he, Bernie would do is he would, for example, let's say there's a blue dog Democrat somewhere, right? That's like, I'm not gonna vote for Medicare for all, right? I can see a President Sanders hopping on a plane, entering that district, having a rally with 20, 30,000 people saying, no, we're gonna do Medicare for All. Uh, and then the, the party fa- falls in line.
0: Yeah, wow, I have to see that to believe that on the uh, Medicare for All part of it, but uh, you, you make a very compelling point. Donald Trump, all the rules were broken in 2016 when Donald Trump uh, was elected. All the rules, he's continued to break every rule there is.
1: This is also what the Democratic consultants so. don't understand. We are living in the first WrestleMania presidency. Yes. We talk about
0: this all the time. Absolutely. He learned everything he did from the World Wrestling Federation.
1: Right. And people are like, oh, but why is Bernie yelling all the time? He's a yeller. It's like, we need a yeller, folks. (laughs) Like, you're talking about reaching middle America. You're talking about, you know, uh, reaching blue-collar voters. You need someone that's going to go on that debate stage and point that finger at Donald Trump and yell in his face. And working people are going to love
0: it. By the way, the debate is tomorrow, and I'll uh, be watching that. We'll be talking about that debate on, well, if the down uh, the people watching on the live stream will be talking about the debate with latissa wallace uh and samina mustafa on friday but the one thing i just brought back i remember when you said that thing about bernie yelling uh the, you have these debates there's 10 people on stage uh, 12 people or whatever and uh it, so it's been a while like bernie will have said something and then i don't know it seems like 20 minutes will have passed other people will be talking and I would figure that somebody he would have calmed down when they come back to Bernie.
1: Hur, hur, yes, hur. yes, dude. Man, he's you bur- like, You're making him sound like a was- howling old dog. It's like yeah oh. 'Yeah, you're doing him no justice.' All right, let me hear. This. <laughs> I wrote the damn bill, yeah.
0: <laughs> he's got the best Bernie. I wrote the damn bill. All right, final question for you. Uh, I've, I've asked everybody this question, I'd love to hear your theory in this. I can't find a millennial, and it may be the millennials that I hang with, who uh, is voting for Mayor Pete. And he is a millennial. Oh, God. Uh, and on the other hand, and I know tons of millennials who are voting for the oldest guy. in in, on the running, Bernie, who just had a heart attack. So every millennial, most millennials I know are for Bernie. No one is is for Mayor Pete. The only people I know for Mayor Pete are boomers. Like, yeah, he's a nice young man, Uh, you know, and that kind of attitude about him. So what's your theory? Why has your generation uh, not been drawn to your generation's First viable presidential okay, candidate. He's not,
1: he's not my generation. We. Well, the Millennial Caucus disowns uh, Mayo <laughs> Pete. Uh, <laughs> we want to trade him for Bernie. Um, so uh, there was a really good article in New York Magazine uh, uh-huh. that talked about, it was titled something like Why the Internet Hates Pete Buttigieg. Oh, I saw that. You yeah. sent that I to me. I sent that yeah, to yeah, you. Yeah, and one, and you I think that does that, a yeah. really good job. And so what it talks yeah. about is that Bernie's young voters evolved out of the Obama base. See, I was big in Obama, for Obama in 2007, right? I'm ordering the online packs. I'm out there knocking doors. I did such a good job knocking doors. I got one of the you know golden tickets, one of the tickets to be one of 70,000 people in uh, Grant Park uh, to hear his speech as I to go through five uh, different levels of uh, uh, fencing and uh, uh, security, security to get there. Um, and then what we saw was compromise with Wall Street. What we saw was a rightward shift from the progressive rhetoric that we heard on the campaign. Uh, you know we didn't see immigration reform go through you know instead of you know this this push for universal health care, we end up getting you know a Republican policy from the 1970s uh, that promotes our broken uh, you know health uh, for-profit and health insurance uh, industry um, on, on issue after issue after issue, we were so disappointed and so to now see Mayo Pete come forward. <laughs> And 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 kind of just repackage all of that. Yeah. It's just like we've been through this already. We're too jaded, uh, and and we don't believe you. And I think too one of the, the great the things about you know Pete Buttigieg is that he's flip flopped already so much just in the course of his you know six months on the campaign trail. He comes out and and announces his ca- uh, campaign for presidency with the most full throated support for Medicare for all. And then he begins to receive money from uh, the ultra-rich, uh, and suddenly now he's repeating healthcare for-profit healthcare industry talking points, attacking Medicare for all, right? Repeating right-wing talking points, attacking uh, public benefits like, um, like uh, you know, free college uh, and uh, college loan uh, forgiveness for all. So um, you know, I, I think that you know, Pete almost seems like a candidate from like 10 years ago. So what the article actually said, it had a really great line. It was like, it's as if like Pete tripped into a chasm on his way to go vote in the 2010, uh, you know, uh, midterm and just came out of the, of the chasm now to find that all his friends were like into socialism. Yeah. yeah. I saw Uh, that was
0: a good line. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's well, it, I always say that uh, Mayor Rahm made the mistake uh, of an in. Buying stock in the charter school movement, political stock, at the very time it was tanking, he paid he paid a high price, and then it tanked. That's right. Uh, I and, uh, and and it so- hurt him with
1: white parents. It, it hurt him with a lot of middle class voters who said, "Charter schools, that's not an option for me." Yeah. And I think similarly, right now with health care, the the health industry is trotting out this this argument around choice right? You get a choice around your healthcare coverage. In reality, you do not get that much no. choice, right? Because you can't go to a doctor out of network. Otherwise, you have to pay up the ass to do it, right?
0: I just have to say this. I The, the utter inconsistency and hypocrisy of the arguments that centrists have positioned to turn people against healthcare, follow me on this, just been reading these books about Obama's f- first term, and they're talking about uh, the bailout of... Um, of the auto industry and and how he uh, engineered uh, massive amounts of loans for the big car manufacturers to keep them from going bankrupt. And in in, uh, talking about the situation they were facing, they were saying part of the reason why the auto industry is in such a dire uh, uh, state back in 2010, follow me in this, Carlos, is that they had baked into the cost of every car, and that's the language that Obama's people were using, baked into the cost of every car was the health care for the employees. So as part of a provision to bail out the auto industry, they forced those unions to agree to healthcare costs, okay? Okay, that was the argument then. Now, I'm watching Democrats on stage saying, defending against going to Medicare for all on the grounds that the unions negotiated for these healthcare, I'm like, you guys will say absolutely anything.
1: Yeah, Yeah. And, and the truth is too is that anyone that's ever been involved in fighting for a strong union contract knows that the more things you can take out of the union contract and win legislatively the stronger your hand as a union when you're fighting for increased benefits yeah. so if you don't have to worry about the if the employer can't say well we can't give you a raise here because we have to pay all this here in health care yeah. right if that argument is taken off the table because healthcare is guaranteed as a human right through a medicare for all national system then you as a union have more ability to demand more in in other in, in pension benefits, in, in pay, in vacation, uh, and, and all the other concessions that you would seek to get from the employer.
0: Well, it'll be a tremendous stride for that, I believe, that if the Democrats uh, come out of their uh, convention in Milwaukee next summer with a candidate uh, advocating-
1: uh, Can you imagine uh, a just... Bernie Sanders convention? <laughs> In the city of the sewer socialists, the sewer socialists, yeah, of course, you know, ran Milwaukee for many years. They're all about socialism and very good public services. Listen, man, it's
0: one step at a time. We're only in December. We have the whole. Can
1: you imagine just all the season. all the blatter of, of cheese <laughs> and all the PBR yeah. and all the millennials?
0: <laughs> millennials be loving Chartoucherie,
1: that. Chartoucherie, <laughs> PBR Bernie, it's going to be great, and, folks. Let's make this happen, America.
0: And what's that millennial group I always tease Carlos about? The cigarette smokers. Chain smokers. Oh, chain smokers. <laughs> I
1: just teased I him. think Pete Buttigieg is a chain smoker. <laughs> fan.
0: He's a chain smoker fan. Bertie's definitely Stevie Wonder, okay? And so is Elizabeth Warren. All right, you know, uh, Carlos, it's a blast, but we should uh, wrap it up. It's been a long time. So, uh, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year, whatever you celebrate.
1: That's right, Happy Holidays.
0: And uh, oh, Nick Spazzado will hit you over the head if he says Happy Holidays. He was in the show the last uh, couple of weeks ago. Don't say Happy Holidays. Anyway,
1: I'm going to send the article where it talks about Happy Holidays is actually indicative of Christian hegemony. It's it's a very interesting I'm argument. I'm sure Nick will. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Nick, that'll be coming anytime soon. <laughs> Uh, anyway, best of so that. That's where the woke people are at now, Ben. They're oh, saying, don't woke? even say happy holidays.
0: Uh, my president says, don't <laughs> say woke. President Obama says, go back to sleep, Chicago. <laughs> anyway, Chicago woke. And I love it. I want to give a shout out to all those aldermen who stood up on reefer revolt. Uh, You got a concession. You got a concession. I'm uh, going to buy your logic. That was a good concession and a lead uh, to some black people. It wouldn't have happened otherwise. It wouldn't have happened otherwise. So I give a shout out to Jason Irvin. All right, give a shout out to Jason Irvin, the Pride of the Twenty Eighth Ward, uh, for leading that revolt. Carrie, how about Carrie Austin, your old seatmate? Didn't she? Sit she's next still to, my seatmate. Your yeah, seatmate she still sits next to me. Uh, so I'm going to end the, the 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 year on a positive note. A little uh, independence from the the Black uh, Caucus and the City Council uh, got that change. Carlos, it's a blast talking to you, and uh, we'll see you next year. Take care, everybody.